welcome to the Rabbit Room Podcast. My name is Andrew Peterson. We've been getting to know the contributors of the Rabbit Room over the last several episodes, uh, asking them about the beginnings of their careers, whatever those careers might be. Thomas McKenzie, also known as Father Thomas, is the pastor at Church of the Redeemer in Nashville, Tennessee, an Anglican church. He's one of my favorite people in Nashville. I asked him to join the Rabbit Room as a contributor a few years ago because I was obsessed with his one-minute movie reviews. So not only is he an Anglican priest, he's also a movie buff who has samurai swords on the walls of his office. Uh, Outside of Andrew Osenga, I think he's the biggest nerd I know. I knew very little about uh, Thomas's background, so it was really fun to sit down and find out how in the world he ended up becoming uh, a priest of all things. It's a pretty good story. Hope you enjoy it. Um, my dad was an artist. He was a professional artist, an interior designer, also. And you say artist, you mean painter? I mean, he yeah, he he worked in multiple mediums. But one of the things he did was he worked in um, he made massive banners. He would paint on Belgian wool, wow. and then he would sell these banners. And it was oftentimes it was sometimes to private people, but it was oftentimes to hospitals and hotels and things like that. And um, he. In the 1960s, the early 1960s, he and two partners started an artist colony in West Texas. There's a of course it was in Texas. Of course, there's a place in West Texas out in the Panhandle called the Paladuro Canyon. It's the only elevational change in the entire area, and uh, it's it's actually lovely. And one of the parts of that canyon is not part of a state park. And he bought a ranch there and um, about 60, 70 acres, and built these geodescent domes. Um, on the edge of these canyon walls, and um, artists lived there all together and and uh, created stuff. And so we had people who ended up becoming fairly famous in the Southwest, painters and sculptors and things like that, um, live out there. And that's where I grew up, um, was out there in that, in that colony. And um, so I grew up around artists all the time. We had dinner parties all the time with artists from around, and we went to show openings a lot. We traveled to show openings. Texas and the Southwest mainly, mm. and um, he was always exhibiting in Santa Fe and Taos and whatnot. So we would, I spent a lot of time in Santa Fe, which was sort of at the time, and I guess it still is, it's sort of the center of kind of Southwest art, both the good and the bad and the ugly of that. Sometimes it's pretty ugly. So um, yeah, so I grew up with, around tons and tons of art, and my dad built us a house out there in the colony that was unusual and gigantic and artistic in and of itself and it was a strange place and um so we just sort of was there any kind of like church life happening yeah we were episcopalians okay um we went to um these are the kind of conversations i had let me let me explain to you now the, the episcopal church is i mean it's a it's a mainline church and there are all kinds of people in the episcopal church from very faithful to very faithful to other things. And the the church we went to, these are the kind of conversations we'd have. So what do you think about reincarnation? I think it's totally fine. I, th- I think reincarnation is cool. Yeah, that's all right. It's cool. Like, that was the kind of conversations we had. <laughs> oh, wow. We had Sunday school classes about Jung, Carl Jung, um, wow. and about that sort of thing. I mean, that's what we talked about. We talked about mythology and Jung and psychology and, you know, environmentalism. And Jesus was the teaching guru who may or may not have been a real person but doesn't really matter wow. that's the kind of church i went to 
So that kind of went well with the artist colony stuff. Now you gotta understand though, in West Texas I was surrounded by, by Southern Baptists. Um, and so I knew that there was another way of viewing things. But my, my, the, my, the Christianity I grew up in was basically whatever Baptists believe, we didn't. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so, you know, they were conservative, we were liberal, they were, they were into the Bible, we were not. <laughs> they were into salvation, we weren't. We were nice to poor people and plants or something, I guess. I don't know what we were supposed to be. But that was kind of the way I was raised, was in that kind of environment. And and I love I totally dug it. I was into like mysticism and, you know, Native American spirituality and all that kind of stuff when I was a kid. I was totally into it. And I um, went and talked to my priest when I was fifteen years old and I told her, I said, you know, I'm interested in being a priest and she sent me to the bishop. Um, who was in Lubbock. So my family drove me down to Lubbock one Tuesday, and I sat in the bishop's office, and I told him I wanted to be a priest, and what should I do? And he told me that I should go to college and then go get a real job for a few years, and when I was 26 years old, come back and talk to him again. Hmm. Um, and I kind of took that as a class, as a, as a kind of, you know, to heck with you, and um, decided to just bag it. Um, because when you're 16, 15 years old and someone says, come back and talk to me when you're 26, you know, they might as well tell you to never come and talk to them again. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, you know, kind of put that in the back of my mind and, you know, decided to be a journalist and, uh, or an English teacher and uh, studied that in college. But then when I was in college, I came to, I came to faith in Christ in a completely different way and uh, in the context of an Episcopal, a charismatic Episcopal campus ministry at the University of Texas at Austin. Um, and so I became a charismatic Pentecostal Episcopalian, I don't know, whatever, and went to seminary directly out of college because I really didn't have anything else to do. Mm-hmm. I was doing just I was just doing ministry constantly after I converted, and so I went to seminary, studied youth ministry, was a youth minister, was recruited into the ordination process while in seminary by the diocese, and was ordained right out of seminary. So do you remember, like, in the early days, do you remember, was there a moment where you were like, oh, my goodness, I'm now about to go out and be in front of people and deliver my first sermon or an equivalent of a sermon? Were you ever, you don't strike me as the kind of person who would let your nerves get to you too much. You know, I was, I, was, I did a lot of theater. Mm-hmm. I was in theater in high school and in college. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot of techniques on controlling my, my fear of being in front of people. I mean, just some breathing techniques. That I used and still do use from time to time. Um, so I, I, I do feel fairly comfortable um, in front of people, um, and so I, I, ju- I would just use those techniques and kind of go out as if I was going out on stage and do what I needed to do. But the f- the the first time I ever I preached a sermon, I was 16 years old. Really? Uh huh. It was classically the Sunday after Easter. Um, which is when all preachers everywhere take a break, and my assistant will be preaching for me this Sunday after Easter. And um, I was my priest asked me to preach, and I talked about how cool it is to doubt, because it was St. Thomas is the you know is the reading from the Sunday after Easter, and that's what we talked about at our church. <laughs> so that's what I talked about. That was my first sermon. I don't remember any of it except that I talked about how cool it is to doubt. Wow. So. So what would you do different? What would you say different today than you would have? <laughs> what would I have said differently? I probably would have. I think that I think that there's a, a faithful doubting and there's an unfaithful doubting. 
and I think there's a faithful questioning and unfaithful questioning. I think that it's about all about the context. Um, and so there are people in Christianity today that I think ask questions in a very faithful way, and there are people who ask questions in a very in a not faithful way. Um, and I think it's all about the context. Um, I mean, Jesus asked questions, and so does Satan, right? And so I think it's about the context that they come from and what their presuppositions are, um, and in the context of the community. So, but th- that was my that was my first sermonizing. And then, I, I mean, I, I spoke at youth events when I became, right after I became a Christian. We, I was with some friends and we started putting on youth retreats. And I would go, and I was kind of the guy who would, look, this guy was a pagan, and now he's a Christian. And now he'll give his testimony and talk to you about why you should become a Christian. You know, mm-hmm. So I did a lot of that with, in front of sometimes big audiences of, of young people. And it's weird. When you, I, I looked kind of funny. You know, I had really long hair and a bunch of earrings. I wore, used to wear like a lot of like jewelry and you know, ripped up clothes and and that sort of thing. And um, and I was skinnier. <laughs> and um, and I think, especially adults would look at me and say, "Oh, that that guy's really interesting because he's 21 years old and he's just become a Christian and he looks really alternative. So we're gonna get him to talk to our youth." I didn't know what I was saying at all. Like I have no idea that like my I mean. I knew as much about the Gospel according to Thomas, the Gnostic book, as I did about the Gospel according to John. You know, I just was saying stuff. Um, but, I, you know, you get put in front of people when you're in that position. So I was just put in front of people and talking at them about literally God knows what. Um, and then seminary, same thing. I just started youth ministering. I'd never been youth minister to in my entire life, but I started as a youth minister. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what a youth minister does. I mean, I really didn't. I would have conversations with my professor and say, what am I supposed to do this week at youth group? Hmm. And he'd say, well, let's talk about the philosophy of youth ministry. And I'd say, I don't care about the philosophy of youth ministry. I have no idea. What What do you do? You know? <laughs> like, do you play? Someone told me you play games with food. <laughs> Is there a place where that's written down? You know? And I'd get these books. They're like, you know, 50 ways to, like, stuff your face with marshmallows and toothpicks and make that funny for youth ministry. I mean, I just... Oh my gosh, it was awful. It was so garbage. How were you in youth ministry? I was in youth ministry eight years total, um, in seminary and then out of seminary. I was a, my first job out of seminary was in youth ministry. I was a priest, but I was also a youth minister. So total of eight years, and uh, that taught you a lot. I'll tell you what: if you are interested, let me just say to all of you rabbit room listeners for a second that if you are interested in being a preacher pastor whatever it is you do in your denomination be a youth minister for a while because if you can get kids to pay attention to you and communicate with them you can communicate with anyone um, because junior high kids do not care what you have to say <laughs> you know and they look at you like you're a moron the whole time and they spit things and you know and it's just gross and so but seriously if you can communicate like old people will sit there and just listen to you talk because they're they're over it you know they're fine with you but y- like little kids they, they they're not gonna sit there and listen to you so i would suggest do junior high ministry for like a year and then you'll know if you can communicate with someone or not <laughs> pretty great i yes. was a, i was a youth pa- part-time youth pastor for a year in, there you go in college and uh i was i was terrible at it like when i when i told the church that i was gonna not come back the next year i felt called into this music thing 
they like I could sense their excitement. <laughs> they all they, applauded. They were like they were such a great church. Like I still keep in touch with some of the kids who are now grown and have kids of their own. Sure. But uh, but it was a delightful experience. The church was so forgiving. But it was so clear that I was not the guy to do that job. And yeah. I remember. I remember that I was supposed to teach uh, Sunday school, you know, to the to the high school kids, and I I was in college, and I was I'm a scatterbrain anyway, hmm. and it would be I would we would always meet and sing a couple of hymns before we would split off into Sunday school, and uh, and between the end of the song and the time five minutes when Sunday school was supposed to start, I would go to the bathroom and lock the door and try to quick come up with a lesson for the for the next forty five minutes. And, uh, you know, elders would be knocking on the door saying, Andrew, your kids are in the class. Where are you? You know, I would go in and fly by the seat of my pants. But it was so, I was so not good at it. Jamie's told me many times you need to not be working with junior hires. There's a, (laughs) between where I lived in Pittsburgh and where I was a youth minister, there was a discount store. And many times on my way to youth group, I would pull into the discount store and walk in and say, okay, what can I buy in this building that I can use as a, tool or as a game or something yeah Uh and i'd walk around and say like huh a giant super soaker squirt gun that could be useful and i would buy it i put in the car and as i drove to youth group i would think okay how am i gonna use that squirt gun i mean it was just that bad i had no idea and that's how i learned to rely upon the holy spirit of god (laughs) or whatever been episode 32 of the rabbit room podcast special thanks to thomas mckenzie ben shive for the use of the beehive studios and our engineer casey weber